Many years ago, Riley Knight completed a degree in history. This proved to be a bad move, as it was absolutely useless for him. Until now, here's some half-assed history. What's going on, mate? Great to have you along for some more half-assed history. This week on the agenda, going to be having a chat about Ching Shi, a, a Chinese pirate captain who had, uh, at the peak of her career, had thousands and thousands, tens of thousands of pirates under her command. Uh, it's been a while since we've had a bit of pirate history. Hey, it's, uh, it's good to get back to one of the podcast's core competencies. And uh, the story of this particular pirate, Ching Shi, is uh, it's a bloody interesting one, I can tell you that. She started off as a prostitute before rising to, to, uh, to command one of the largest pirate fleets that the world has ever seen, known as the Red Flag Fleet. She was, uh, she was feared and respected by the sailors under her, uh, who were all made to adhere to uh, a very strict code of conduct, uh, conduct on pain of, in most cases, death. Um, and she commanded hundreds of ships, even as many as a thousand, according to some, uh, which would mean that she was one of the most powerful pirates in history. She fought with the Chinese, the British, the Portuguese navies. She attacked and spied on and looted and even taxed part of uh, parts of South China, like it was, you know, her personal domain. And the end of her story might surprise you as well, especially when you think of uh, think of you know how the uh, the careers of most famous pirates uh, ended, especially those in the West Indies. Uh, it might surprise you to learn uh, how her career came to a close. But before we get to the end of the story, we've got to you know to get through all the good bits here, the uh, the fighting and the looting and the pillaging, and of course the uh, you know the <laughs> the jumping into bed with your own stepson. This episode of Half Us History proudly presented by Brazzers, apparently, because that is something that did happen in her story. Anyway. This topic was suggested by alert listener Kelsey Ito, or Kelsey Ito, I'm not sure how you pronounce it, but thanks so much, Kels. Good on you for sending in such a, uh, a bloody brilliant idea for an episode here. Uh, and let's get to it. Let's get to it here and have a chat about uh, Ching Shi and find out exactly what she was all about. We're going all the way back, all the way back to 1775 here to the Guangdong province of China. Uh, it's the bit with Guangzhou in it down there on the south coast of China near, uh, near Macau and, and Honkers. Uh, and it's there that Ching Shi was born, although her name, uh, her birth name wasn't Ching Shi, as we'll discuss. She was born Shi Yang. Uh, but that's just about all we know about her early life. More or less everything else has been lost to the mists of time. We don't know much about her family or her circumstances as a, as a youngster there. But what we do know is that at some point before 1801, she began to work at a brothel, a floating brothel in a boat on the river in Guangzhou. Now, she must have been pretty bloody good at her job. I can I can tell you that much because <laughs> when an infamous pirate king named Cheng Yi rocked up uh, to... Uh, procure the services of this house. Uh, he had such a good time with Shi Yang that he decided to marry her. Now, there are some varying accounts of how this, you know, this sort of played out. The, the boring and very probably true story uh, is that he asked her to marry uh, him and she said yes and, you know, ho-hum, how dull. But the exciting and probably made-up story is that Cheng Yi, after getting back to his boat and, you know, sort of, you know, putting his drawers back on and tightening his belt, he, he ordered his crew to attack and plunder the brothel and bring back Shi Yang to him as a prize. Obviously, just another day in the office for all those pirates. Attack a boat. Yes, yes, been there, done that. Although, I suppose this time they were bringing back a rather different kind of booty to the captain. Oh, thank you. Um, <laughs> there's even a third story that the marriage was, uh, wasn't was even based on chemistry or uh, you know, or, or in romance. R- romance. I mean, nothing more romantic than a piratical raid on a, fro- a floating brothel, is there? Uh, there? There is an idea that it may have been a business arrangement. The idea here is that uh, Cheng Yi may have just wanted to diversify his business interests 
And this was a, a good way to get into the, uh, you know, the women of negotiable affection uh, side of things there. But uh, regardless of what it was, whatever the reason, in 1801, Shi Yang married Cheng Yi and became known as Cheng Yi Sao, which means wife of Cheng Yi. I mean, there's taking your husband's name, you know, it's a tradition that uh, that some people still go along with in these days. And, then, you know, that's fine. Whatever people can do, whatever they want. But, you know... What is going on there? Imagine introducing your wife. Ah, yes, hello. I'm Cheng Yi. Nice to meet you. This is my wife, wife of Cheng Yi. Uh, all right. Yes. Okay. But but what's her name? Uh, I'm sorry. I I don't understand. I just I just told you her name. Her name is wife of Cheng Yi. I mean, what 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 further is there to explain here? I don't. I mean, whatever. I mean, very different time, very different set of circumstances, but incomprehensible. Anyway, our hero has a shrewd and a cunning mind, I can tell you this. And uh, she makes the most of this marriage to consolidate her position as well, because she obviously had very considerable sway over Cheng Yi here, Cheng, uh, uh, Cheng Yi Sao. She obviously had uh, a considerable sway over a new husband, because after getting married to him, he signed over 50% of the family business to her. Very forward-thinking, very equitable, you'd think, quite apart from the, you know, the whole business with the name. Cheng Yi Sao is now an equal partner in her husband's pirate empire. And what an empire it is too. Hundreds of ships, tens of thousands of sailors, all sailing under this pirate lord, uh, Cheng Yi. And now he's sailing with his new wife at, uh, at his side as an equal partner again in the family business. And together, they also officially adopted an 18-year-old kid whose name, <laughs> whose name was Chung Po Tsai, uh, which means Chung Po the Kid. Which is, you know, the, the sort of nickname I guess you hope to grow out of. But uh, poor old Cheung Po, you know, that, that one stuck with him all the way through to his Wikipedia article. So, anyway, he was the, he was the son of a fisherman who uh, Cheng Yi had abducted a few years earlier. Um, so, I mean, look, when you look at it, it really is just a boring old story of happy families here, isn't it? A prostitute marries a pirate king and they adopt a son that's eight years her junior. Very boring, very typical indeed. Anyway... Cheng Yi Sao and her husband, they were a pirate power couple. I tell you what, in the coming years, they cut about the seas uh, around the south of China, consolidating, solidifying their position as the mightiest pirate fleet you have ever seen. They bullied and intimidated rival pirate fleets to join to join their fleet uh, through the use of threats and violence and, and grew the size of their empire to as many as 70,000 pirates and 400 ships. Now, when you're thinking of ships, obviously you need to you need to keep in mind the uh, the ships that uh, the Chinese were uh, sailing around. The, those junk ships, not to say that they were you know of poor quality or whatever, but that's the style of ship. There, you probably you know you probably think you can you can conjure it up the uh, the idea there that you know the uh, the sort of the rippled sails and the big curving uh, uh, the big curving hull of the ship there like that. So uh, you know a little bit smaller than uh, some of the ships that you might uh, you might have seen before, but still you know a bloody lot of them. 400. It's uh, nothing to sneeze at there. And they structured their organization very precisely indeed. They divided all of these ships up into six separate fleets. Although I have to say they did give them very dull names, the fleets. They named them after different colors. There was blue, green, black, white, yellow, and of course red. I mean, if I were a pirate king, you would be facing off against the fire and brimstone fleet, the thunder and the lightning fleets, not, you know, this sort of thing. Wouldn't muck around with colours, no thanks. I mean, how, how very boring. A real, a real missed opportunity there. It's like when you give your pet a name like, I don't know, Harold or or uh, Agnes or something. I don't know. It's it's an it's enormous wasted opportunity when you know you could you could call your your animal something like I don't know assassin or longsword or something like that. Something something much much sweeter. Anyway, 
The principal fleet of these six was, of course, the Red Fleet, uh, and the whole empire became known as a result as the Red Flag Fleet, uh, because that's that's the one that spearheaded the whole operation, led, of course, by Cheng Yi and Cheng Yi Sao. And within three years of their marriage, these two had assembled one of the biggest and most powerful pirate fleets in history. And they cut about the seas around South China, as I say. They're looting, raiding, pillaging, having a bloody great time. No one to stop them. I mean, what are they going to do, mate? Biggest pirate fleet in history. But then, in 1807, things changed forever. Because poor old Cheng Yi... He went up and bloody died, mate. He died. And there's no firm historical consensus on the cause of his death, I have to say. Uh, some sources indicate that it was an accident, perhaps brought on by a, a typhoon. Or by, you know, that is, that's by no means accepted everywhere. In fact, some historians suspect that foul play, there was foul play at the hands of his wife or, or, his, or you know, even his adopted son or both for reasons that you've uh, probably already guessed at here. Uh, Chung Po was his heir after the adoption and so had a lot to gain uh, from the death of uh, Cheng Yi, so maybe. No, look, honestly, I've got no idea. No idea, mate. Could have been foul play, could have been anything else, could have been sharks, could have been a typhoon, could have been both. Whatever it was, Cheng Yi, dead as a Norwegian blue, he is, uh, he's in the rear view. Uh, don't worry about him, because our focus is now well and truly on Ching Shi, as she's now known. Why was she known as this? Because Ching Shi apparently can be translated as Widow of Cheng. She's gone from wife to widow and now her name reflects that. Bit of a bloody buzzkill during the old speed, dad speed dating rounds there, isn't it? Oh, sorry, sorry, what's your name? Widow of Cheng? Oh, uh, okay. Uh, oh, ch would you look at the time? Sorry, I've got to go. I forgot I need to iron my dog. Whatever the reason she was known, you know, whatever the reason was, she was known by this name for the rest of her life and even today through the long lens of history as well. And uh, anyway, look, with the, with the death of uh, the Pirate King Cheng Yi, it's not immediately clear what will happen to the Red Flag fleet after this. Uh, obviously, our mate Ching Shi is a real mover and shaker. We all know that. And so uh, she begins to, she starts to manoeuvre into position to fill this power vacuum. And she does this with the support of Cheung Po too. And, you know, I suppose I should add rather more than his support, because she ended up seducing her stepson in order to solidify her position as the de facto leader of the Red Flag Fleet. Now, I mentioned before that Cheung Po was Cheng Yi's heir. He had been fiercely loyal to his adopted father and was seen as the, you know, as the natural successor to the, uh, to the dead pirate lord there. And so our mate Ching Shi very cleverly brought him on side, brought him under her influence by, well knocking boots with him. Remember, there's only eight years between them, and he was uh, obviously a very uh, influenceable and corruptible youth at this point, because corrupt him, she did. Now, while, I mean, look, it's a bit of an odd way to secure power, you know, sleeping with your adoptive stepson, but hey, you know, you do what you, you, you got to do, I suppose. But it worked. This is the thing about it. It worked. After securing the loyalty and the, and the support of Chung Po, Ching Shi now oversaw his instalment as the new official leader of the Red Flag Fleet, while she, of course, was the one pulling the strings and making the real decisions. He was the figurehead and she was the power behind the throne because there is no doubt whatsoever that she was the one making the decisions, making the calls, and he was, of course, the figurehead at the time. This wasn't some kind of clandestine arrangement either. Everyone knew who was really in charge, but obviously all the, you know, the sexist rubbish that is a, a hallmark of human history uh, prevented her from officially being the boss. But despite this, she firmed up the, this position of power with some very clever wheeling and dealing quite aside from the whole you know the whole business with sleeping with the stepson too they needed you know there are a couple more steps it's not like that's a sort of a cure-all a, a, a wonderful fix to uh, to gain control if you're attempting to seize control of your own pirate empire i will give you this advice 
you know, jumping into bed with a stepchild is not is not the only step you need to take. And uh, and uh, and Ching Yi Ching uh, recognised that. She made overtures to all the in-laws, all the nephews and the cousins of uh, of Cheng Yi, uh, all the other relatives who, you know, commanded sizable divisions of the empire. And she obviously had a real way with people because before long, she'd secured their loyalty as well. And the family business was secured. It wasn't about to, uh, you know, to splinter off into all these different rival factions because there were, there were rivalries, there were plots to overthrow other leaders, there were tensions between different branches of the family. But Ching Shi, she smoothed these all over with a master, masterful combination of diplomacy and you know, having an enormous pirate fleet behind her, which can be quite a quite a bargaining chip at the old negotiation table. There, now finally, in order to uh, to really just w- once and for all uh, shore up her her position of power here, the last thing she did, Ching Shi, she met with all the lieutenants, all the captains, all the ranked underlings, all the officers and stuff to bring them on side with her leadership as well. And she seemed to have been quite you know relatively relaxed and flexible uh, in doing this, choosing to uh, you know come into some power sharing uh, agreements with her subordinates and make sure everyone was happy smart move too in you know in order to keep everyone beneath her in line without pissing anyone off uh, and make sure you know everyone's facing the same direction and and, and ready to go and do uh, some 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 looting and some pillaging as one team so important teamwork teamwork such an important part of of any business you know regardless of what it is even even in piracy teamwork enormously important as i'm sure you you can all agree anyway <clears throat> the long and the short of it is that in a few short years, Ching Shi had consolidated her position as one of the most powerful pirates the world has ever seen. And after this, she went about doing what pirates do best, raiding towns, capturing ships, plundering loot, and having a great time. No town on the south coast of China was safe from the ravages of Ching Shi and her red flag fleet. She sent spies ashore to sniff out juicy targets and then struck with ruthless ferocity. Uh, in some places, she even levied what could probably you know, be fairly described as taxes on some towns and villages as they paid her tribute in order to stave off a tax. And, you know, I, I think it's fair to say that this is more or less a very rudimentary form of government, isn't it? I mean, look, when it boils down to it, it's just pay us money and we won't burn down your village. So, I mean, that's all it really comes to. Of course, when it comes to the actual government, the actual Chinese government, this is the uh, the Qing dynasty at this stage led by the uh, the Jiaqing Emperor, also known as Yongyan. Uh, that government did move to try to curtail her piracy but were utterly ineffective. Utterly ineffective. The size and the power of Qing Shi's fleet outranked even the Qing dynasty's naval power. It was really, really something. In fact, when they sailed to meet the red flag fleet in battle one time, they were so comprehensively defeated that afterwards, the Chinese navy was basically reduced to fishing vessels. She captured or sank so much of the Chinese fleet that they actually didn't try again in a hurry. They, they left her well enough alone for a good deal of time after that. Now, look, you know, there's, I guess there's another side of this coin here because I don't want to paint Ching Shi as, you know, as a lovable rogue, a storybook pirate with a dagger between her teeth and a glint in her eye, scrapping with the powers that be. Because, look, romanticization of pirate stories is nothing new. And while Ching Shi's story is obviously a very cool one, it's important to note that this woman did not muck about. There are some stories of Ching Shi's incredible viciousness and, and, and the amazing bloodthirst she had as she went around robbing everywhere from Macau to Guangzhou. One of the one of the worst stories of all the, the pillaging, raiding, and looting that she did, one of the worst stories emerged from a, a small a small fishing village called San Shan, where Ching Shi's fleet raided the village, beheaded all the men, 
and ransomed all the women and children, selling into slavery any that weren't paid for. So, yeah, Ching Shi <laughs> did not muck about, I can, I can tell you that much. Um, this brutal style of leadership also extended to how she managed her fleet as well. Uh, shortly after she took charge of, of this enormous pirate empire, Ching Shi issued a code of laws for all of the ships under her command. Now, this code of laws was extremely strictly enforced. Uh, and as you'll see in just a second here, it definitely reinforces the idea that Ching Shi, while able to speak softly, carried one of the biggest sticks you'll ever come across. Every ship in the Red Flag fleet had to adhere to this code, and the punishments for anyone flouting it, they were harsh and they were terrible. The code probably had a lot to do with her success as a pirate queen, to be honest, as it meant that she expected and enforced unquestioning loyalty from all of her crews, most of the time on pain of death. Anyway, here it is. Here is the code of laws that Ching Shi had so vigorously enforced at all levels of her pirate empire. Here we go. <clears throat> Anyone who disobeyed orders from their captain or a higher ranking commander or anyone who gave unauthorized orders of their own would immediately be beheaded. That was it. Yep, yep. There were no second chances, nothing. You mess up, off with your bloody head, mate. Sorry about that, but that's just how she goes there. You'll notice that this also applied to senior officers. They were also forbidden to give unauthorized orders. It all had to be with Ching Shi's approval. So any captain that went off and raided or looted or pillaged or did any, or, you know, attacked another ship or did anything else like that without the uh, without the permission of Ching Shi. Uh, yeah, just have your head chopped off, mate. Doesn't matter if you were uh, before or after the mast. It doesn't matter what your rank was. You, you mess with Ching Shi, you go against what she says, off, off comes your head. Simple as that. <clears throat> Next one. All loot is handed over to your captain or your commanding officer, who then hands it over to Ching Shi, who then put, puts 80% of it into a public fund for the entire fleet. And the other 20% goes back to the original crew who captured it in the first place. Pretty bloody stiff tax rate there, Ching Shi, old mate. 80%. And this law too, I mean, it was at least a little more lenient than the first. If you stuffed up, you only got, into, you know, you, you only got an extremely severe beating. Although, you know, I should mention that if you stuffed up, stuffed up a second time, yeah, beheading, as you might have expected there. Ching Shi obviously just appreciated a nice, sharp axe, what can I say? Um, but this public fund was a very important part of the, uh, uh, you know, the day-to-day activity of, of the Red Flag Fleet. It was, uh, it was, uh, it was what the, the, the whole organisation was centred around, and as a result, there was a, obviously a very strict rule that applied to it as well. Stealing from the public fund or from villagers that had paid tribute or were actively supplying the fleet, you're never going to guess what happened to you. Beheading. Another, yep, just, just beheaded straight away again. Again, ensuring complete loyalty by exploiting, just very cleverly exploiting, I might add, just how attached people are to their heads. Very clever indeed. Very clever indeed. The public fund, as I mentioned, uh, it was used to, it was very important, used to supply ships that hadn't been successful with raids. Nice to be, you know, nice to be a bit of good old, good old fashioned socialism in this 18th century pirate empire. But, uh, you know, the, this organisation, this, uh, this, this hierarchy, the way that wealth was sent up to the, uh, uh, you know, to the, to, the, to, the, to the people in charge, Ching Shi and the rest of it, and then redistributed, re- redistributed to other ships who were maybe having a tougher time. But uh, a very forward-thinking idea and one that, one that also, of course, continued to uh, build the power and, uh, and ensure that the Red Fleet stayed on top of its game. Uh, a couple more rules to get across here. Deserting your post or leaving it to go ashore without permission. That uh, wasn't a beheading, actually. No, you didn't actually get your chopped off, your head chopped off for that. Not, it wasn't a beheading. It was instead a be- earring. 
you got your ears chopped off instead. As, uh, as historian Jason Porath points out, maybe this was because you weren't using them to listen to the rules, which is quite a good line. I like that. Uh, you were you were then paraded around uh, in front of the rest of in front of the rest of the crew, who would you know presumably laugh at your new lack of ears, safe in the knowledge, of course, that you couldn't hear them. Yeah. All right. Look, I know, I know. It's that's not how ears work. I I just I just wanted to make a funny joke like Jason. All right. That's all I wanted to do. Oh, also, um, if you do it again, that is a beheading. Uh, I suppose after running out of, uh, you know, ears to chop off, uh, there's, no, no, there's nothing left but your entire head. So you, de- you desert your post a second time and uh, it's off with your head, not just with, your, uh, not just with some, <laughs> some of the, you know, appendages on your extremities. Anyway, interestingly and unusually for the time as well, I should say, Ching Shi also instituted laws when it came to the treatment of of female captives. Now, usually female captives were just released, uh, but those uh, that were kept as prisoners had a level of protection thanks to Ching Shi's leadership. I mean, look, we're not talking about, you know, United Nations level basic principles for for the treatment of prisoners here, but still it was something. Uh, Particularly attractive prisoners were usually taken as wives or concubines by crew members, but under, under Ching Shi's leadership, these men now had to remain faithful to their new wives, again, on pain of death, and ones that didn't end up with a new pirate husband uh, were, as I say, they were released or they were ransomed. Uh, and if in the meantime, before they were released or ransomed, if in the meantime, a crew member were to become uh, intimate with one of these prisoners under, under any circumstances whatsoever, guess what? Oh, yes, that's right. Hippity hoppity time for the chippity choppity. Uh, in some cases, the prisoners were also executed for being part of this, although Ching Shi didn't chop off their heads. Uh, instead, uh, these poor women had cannonballs tied to their feet and were thrown overboard. Much better, yes. Um, there were more other more minor laws that were enforced as part of Ching Shi's code as well, uh, and breaches of these more minor things were met with, you know, more minor punishments. You know, things like being clapped in irons, being flogged, or something small like having your feet nailed to the deck. That sort of thing. Essentially, uh, Ching Shi ran a very tight ship. Oh, thank you. Uh, and and without and without a doubt, sorry about that. And without a doubt, uh, this obviously contributed to the rabid loyalty of those under her command. A first-hand account uh, of this code uh, comes to us from a man named Richard Glasspool, who in 1809, uh, while working for the East India Company, was actually taken prisoner by Ching Shi's fleet and saw with his own eyes the, uh, the you know the customs and the traditions and the laws of the uh, of the red flag fleet uh, and he survived he survived this ordeal and he wrote a book about it and said that it was this code of laws that <clears throat> gave rise to a force that was intrepid in attack desperate in defense and unyielding even when outnumbered Ching Shi ruled the waves for, uh, with her fleet for years and years until 1810, when a long and protracted fight with various navies finally took its toll. The Chinese Qing dynasty was unable to deal with Ching Shi and the Red Flag fleet, and, uh, and other colonial powers were equally unmatched for a long, long time. The British and the Portuguese, both of whom had considerable interests in Hong Kong and Macau respectively, they also rallied to bring the fight to the Red Flag fleet, but for a long time, they were, they were completely unsuccessful. They were unsuccessful in doing anything about Ching Shi and her pirate empire. Uh, Europe, of course, at the time was embroiled in the Napoleonic Wars, maybe not as many uh, resources to commit to this part of the world over on the other side there. Uh, and Ching Shi was able to plunder more or less with impunity, although that she, she did quite wisely leave a lot of European shipping alone so as not to raise the ire of the colonial powers. But having said that, 
She did attack and, ca- and capture a couple of Portuguese and British ships here and there and continued to wage a bloody and ruthless campaign of piracy against the, you know, uh, uh, the coastal towns and villages and other Chinese ships uh, on the south coast of China for, for a long time, as I say, until finally the Portuguese Navy summoned the firepower required to contest the Red Flag Fleet in late 1809. The Battle of the Tiger's Mouth, as it's known, took place over many months in late 1809 into 1810, when the Portuguese were ordered to take decisive action against Ching Shi and her massive fleet. She had just captured a Portuguese ship coming in from Timor and had massacred its crew in, you know, in, in truly characteristic style. And so the Portuguese authorities in Macau, they ordered a swift and terrible retribution. Enough was enough, they decided, and finally there would be a reckoning for Ching Shi and her uh, her vicious, her vicious campaign of bloody murder on the high seas. The Portuguese were even supported in this effort by the British, although they didn't sort of lend a huge amount of support. It was it was primarily the Portuguese that went out to uh, to try to bring uh, Ching Shi to heel, but the the, the British uh, they they did contribute in a small way. And this campaign it began on the 15th of September, 1809. Now, there were a series of sea battles that took place over the coming months. And look, I scoured the records of these uh, these battles for anything interesting at all that happened in any of them. And it seems like we are just completely out of luck. Honestly, it seems that it seems like this, these were just the most straight up and down naval battles in history. Both sides assembled, shot at each other until one side had had enough, and then scarpered, and then the day was won. But and that was it. I mean, that was that was what happened several times as you know, part of this ongoing campaign, the Battle of the Tiger's Mouth. And unfortunately for our mate Ching Shi, the wind kind of came out of her sails here. The Portuguese, after having decided instead of, you know, just sort of mildly contesting Ching Shi and her fleet wherever they could, after this concerted effort was brought together by one of the great sea powers of the time, the Portuguese, they were better equipped, they were better outfitted, they had a huge naval fortress, a huge uh, uh, naval base of operations in Macau. And they were able to damage and sink many of the Red Flag Fleet's ships uh, without incurring too many losses of their own. They had these massive brigs, these frigates that were able to, uh, you know, rip the junk, uh, the Chinese junk ships apart when uh, when positioned correctly and, and you know, once once properly uh, led into battle against uh, against uh, Ching Shi's fleet there. And the Chinese government uh, offered a further blow to the uh, to the efforts of, of Ching Shi and her pirates by announcing an amnesty for all pirates, anyone who had engaged in piracy. An amnesty was announced in December 1809. This was the this was one of the worst things possible for Ching Shi and her fleet, uh, promising the Chinese government promising any pirates that turned themselves in uh, would would receive a pardon, would would benefit from this amnesty here, because as a result of this. A lot of people gave up. A lot of the, uh, you know, the, 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 while the backbone of the fleet remained strong, many, many of the ships, many of the crew actually decided that enough was enough. They'd been sailing too close to the wind for too long and they were going to take advantage of this amnesty. And in fact, one entire subdivision of the fleet, the Black Flag fleet, well and truly failed to live up to its name and surrendered to the Chinese authorities shortly after a major battle in mid December. Now, Ching Shi's last stand, you know, fighting against the tide of history here, desperately attempting to keep piracy, the, uh, you know, a, a, an honest profession uh, in, in the history books here, Ching Shi, her last stand came on the 21st of January in 1810, after months and months of fighting the Portuguese, when she and Chung Po, who is still the figurehead, still technically in charge of the fleet here, 
They gathered all the ships that they had remaining, about 300 in all, and made one final attack on the Portuguese. And despite outnumbering the Portuguese incredibly, you know, by, by a huge factor here, Ching Shi's fleet was defeated utterly by the superior firepower of the Portuguese frigates, the Portuguese brigs. They were able to sink all of the smaller ships of the Red Flag fleet, the junks, left, right and centre, and eventually the nerve of the pirate fleet broke what remained of it, and they scattered and they fled. And unfortunately, they fled up a river. And the Portuguese were able to blockade the river's mouth and trap them there with no escape. And realising the writing was on the wall... Ching Shi, who had always been prudent, always been sensible, she decided that after years and years at sea, at the ripe old age of 36, the time had come for her to retire. And so she threw in the towel. She decided to surrender to the Chinese emperor and accept the amnesty, but of course, with a few conditions. I really have no idea how she managed to do this, but after submitting to the amnesty and accepting a pardon, Ching Shi bucked the trend of so many pirates before her and not only managed to escape, uh, 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 managed to avoid uh, dancing the hemp and jig, she also escaped with a lot more than her life. Right, check this out. Ching Shi negotiated the retention of 120 of her ships for her to use to get in to the salt trade. The Chinese government just rolled over and said, sure, you can keep my, you know, a, a, an enormous percentage of your pirate fleet. And if you believe it, it didn't stop there. She wasn't forced to hand over all of her ill-gotten gains. She was allowed, for some reason, to keep all of her loot. What is going on there? How, how she wasn't immediately just had everything confiscated from her, I'll never understand. But she was able to keep a lot of her ships and nearly all of her, all of her loot. It was absolutely incredible. And on top of that, right, on top of that, she persuaded the Chinese government to employ Chiung Po as a naval officer. He became a captain in the Chinese Navy and then had them overturn the restrictions on marrying widows because he, as a government official, was now able to, to flout, the, flout, flout the rules. And so they finally became properly married, the two of them. I don't know how she got away with this, considering, you know, considering what usually happens to a retired pirate. But she did manage to pull this one off after some very lucrative and exciting years as a queen amongst pirates. Ching Shi managed somehow to end up as the wife of a naval officer in the employ of the government. Incredible. She and Chung Po had a couple of kids together. And when he died at sea in 1822, she moved to Macau uh, to rub shoulders with her old foes, the Portuguese, along with her interests in the salt trade. And it was there in Macau that Ching Shi finally got back to her roots back to where it all began as she opened a gambling house and brothel, which she ran for the rest of her life. After years and years of bloodthirsty, avaricious adventure on the high seas and then decades of success as a businesswoman, Ching Shi did manage to secure her happily ever after. Ching Shi, an embodiment of the rags to riches story that we all love so much. She lived in peace and prosperity and happiness until 1844, when she died peacefully, surrounded by her family, and with a sizable fortune, I will add, at the age of 69. Nice.
But that's it. That's all she wrote today, sports fans. That is the story of Ching Shi, one of the most powerful pirates to ever set sail on the seven seas. Thanks again once so much to Kelsey Ito or Ito who sent in this as a topic suggestion. I'm always accepting new topics. I've got a list as long as me arm, but it is great to uh, it is great to get more. I love to read through them, of course, even if they don't quite make it. Some are just a little shorter. They don't have quite enough meat on the bones, but it's always fantastic to read about little uh, little quirks or that sort of stuff. Um, also, I need your help with something because this really snuck up on me. Sorry, this is going to be a longer housekeeping than usual. Um, it's the 100th episode in two weeks, and I really have no idea what to do for it. I realized I should probably, like, do something special to commemorate it. So now more than ever, I'm needing suggestions um, for, for for what I should do. I, I had an idea, what I was thinking, actually, because I get so many suggestions that don't turn into full-blown episodes, what I could do is clear out some of that backlog by doing, like, not really a best of, but you understand, like, we understand, like, not like a clip show. I don't know what you'd call it, but, like, basically... Um, you know, little five-minute, ten-minute seg- sec- sections and stories rather than one big long one. The 100th episode I thought could be uh, maybe, you know, a collection of all the little ones that didn't quite make it there. Or if there's something else I could maybe do uh, to, to commemorate 100 episodes, I'd really like to hear it. I mean, it's unbelievable I've made it this far. It's it's incredible to have so many people listening after so long. Thank you so much to all of you who are tuning in. But I do really want to hear from you. And, and if there's anything you think would be cool uh, to include as a, you know as a sort of a little yeah a little marker thing as a, we've made it to 100 episodes I say we I mean I'm the one doing all the work then again I shouldn't complain you're the one giving me all the money all the patron people there so I'm I, I, I'm not complaining anyway thank you for being part of the show of course uh, if you want to get in touch with a suggestion for an episode or again what I should be doing for the 100th episode please go to the website halfhousehistory.net or halfhousehistory.com you can pick your pipe there uh, and there's a contact form there you can use to get in touch with me. I do read everything. I don't get the chance to reply to stuff. Sorry, just the, it's just a, a matter of volume. I just can't get can't get back to everyone. Um, and of course, Half House History swag is still for sale. Free shipping worldwide. In case you missed it, you can get yourself a T-shirt, a notebook, a magnet, a, a badge, whatever you like. Free shipping worldwide. You can also save if uh, if you buy all these things together. The lot. Uh, and I'll send that out to you straight away, of course, if you uh, go to the shop, which is halfhousehistory.bigcartel.com. And if you want to support the show and gain access to uh, exclusive content, my friends, behind the scenes, uh, uh, uncut episodes, show notes, or even early access to uh, to these episodes, jump over to Patreon, patreon.com slash halfhousehistory, and, uh, and you can sign up there. And uh, we've even got a couple of new executive producers in the line. They'll be getting their business cards in the coming weeks and months, so look forward to that. Um, but uh, yeah, plenty of ways to support the show if you so choose. But of course, the easiest and the cheapest way to support the show is just to tell people about it. If you know, I understand that not everyone's in a position to uh, to chuck their money my way. It's certainly uh, certainly not an expectation. It is it's a, it's a real privilege to have people do it. But if you're not in a position to do it, uh, the best way to support the show just tell your friends about it. Just tell people about it. Give uh, you know maybe maybe suggest that they don't know enough about the potato. They don't have enough of an understanding of the English longbow or the Black Death or that sort of stuff. And shoot them over an episode uh, to listen to. And who knows, maybe we'll. We'll have another uh, another fan uh, thanks to your uh, heroic endeavors to uh, to uh, spread the good word of half house history anyway i'm going on a bit that is a very very long housekeeping uh, segment i do apologize do get in touch with your 100th episode ideas two weeks to go until that momentous occasion so uh, so do let me know what you think i should do for it but we are going to wrap the sh- wrap the show up here thanks everyone for listening we've got a uh, we <laughs> we've got a pirate related question here that i uh, that i uh, harvested from reddit here asked by dex 18 city Obviously, a lot of pirate chat today, so a very fitting question here. <clears throat> Little joke for all the physics nerds to enjoy. How could any pirate make someone walk the plank if the plank length is so small? <laughs>